Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Mino Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge. Because as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birth this podcast pregnancy pearls with dr plenty thanks for listening to pregnancy pearls podcast with me dr nicole plenty on today's episode of the podcast we're going to talk about the fourth trimester oh you don't know what that is okay so the fourth trimester is the 12 week period immediately following after you um, have your baby Um, Not everyone has heard of it, but every mother and their newborn baby will go through it. It is a time of great physical and emotional change as your baby and your body adjust to being outside of the womb and not pregnant. And you adjust to your new life as a mother. If you're a first time mother, it may be a bit overwhelming. If you're juggling other children, it's a it's just a different type of struggle, but you it's still a struggle. <laughs> During the fourth trimester, your body is healing. If you had a vaginal delivery, you might experience cramping similar to a menstrual period for one to two weeks. If you had a C-section, your body takes a bit longer to heal. For the first two weeks, you might require Motrin plus a stronger medicine like Norco or Percocet to help with your post-op pain. During this time, you should not lift anything more than about 10 to 15 pounds to allow your body to heal. And you should gradually uh, introduce exercise. During this time also, you're getting adjusted to breastfeeding. Breastfeeding can be a chore by itself, but it's also a joy once you get a regular pattern established. Um, You're also adjusting to your baby waking up about every three to four hours to feed. Um, This can make you very cranky and sleep deprived. Can also make your spouse or loved one very cranky because they're waking up with you. Even if they're not helping you, they're waking up. So my husband used to say, man, I feel like I haven't gotten any sleep since before Harrison was born. And I looked at him and I was like, who is waking up feeding his baby every three to four hours? Me, not you. But he, his sleep is being disturbed. Even if he's not waking up as frequently as you are breastfeeding, um, the sleep is being disturbed because you may be asking him to go downstairs and put the breast milk in the refrigerator if you're pumping. Or he may have to hand you the baby at night. So your spouses and loved ones are being affected as well. And so it's going to be key for you to get on a schedule. And so once you get on a schedule, that that fourth trimester can be a lot easier. And so to help me discuss this topic further, I have a very special guest, y'all, and I'm excited about this guest, okay? Because this guest is a very good friend of mine. We train together. We hang out together. Um, She's fabulous. She's actually my OBGYN here in Houston, and her name is Dr. Timitope Equo. So Dr. Equo is a board-certified OBGYN who was born and raised in Providence, Rhode Island, where she lived until moving to Washington, D.C. after high school. She graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor's 
bachelor's degree in science from Howard University. Shortly after graduation, she relocated to Jackson, Mississippi to pursue her lifelong goal of becoming a physician. She obtained her medical doctorate um, from University of Mississippi Medical Center, where she also remained after graduation to complete her OBGYN residency program. Uh, during this time, she met the love of her life, a Houston native, which made the decision to move to Houston an easy one. She and her husband have two children, and she practices OBGYN full-time with specialists of obstetrics and gynecology. Dr. Equo and her, ta- her staff take pride in providing extraordinary care to their patients during all stages of a woman's life. Tope, welcome to the podcast. Dr. Plenty, thank you for having me. Tope is an expert on this subject matter, not only because she is a board certified OBGYN, but because she is a mother of two her own. So she's been through this twice. Just a few times. Just a few. um, This fourth trimester, if you will. So what advice would you give in general for moms who are about to have a baby? This is a topic I could talk about for hours. Um, So do you want me to talk with my doctor hat on or with my mom hat on? This is the mom hat now. So my biggest thing when I talk to my friends and everybody about the fourth trimester is it's different for everyone. And it's okay to reach out for help. Being the, you know, let's take myself, for example, being the type A type of person I am with my first daughter, I felt like I had to do everything by myself. I felt like I had to take on all of the responsibility for my daughter by myself. And I quickly realized it takes a village to raise a child, to raise children in general. So I always tell people, it, excuse me, I always tell people that it is okay to ask for help. That's what your husband is there for. That's what your moms are there for. I'm lucky enough to have my mom who lives five minutes from me, to have my mother-in-law who lives with us, and to have a very hands-on husband. But I, at the end of the day, I say it's different for everyone and ask for help when you need it. It's easy to read all these books, what to expect when expecting, um, all of these prenatal and postnatal books. But at the end of the day, what's written in the book is not how it usually happens. That's good advice. And um, yeah, so Toby and I both have like some in-house help, right? Because... Y'all, raising children is hard. It is hard. And I don't know if I could have gotten through that 12 weeks by myself. I mean, I can't get through life by myself <laughs> at this point. Like, I need help all the time to at, at least keep my sanity and be able to work and also do the other things in life that I need to do, right? And make sure that I am being the best mom possible. And in order to do that, you have to be able to have sleep. You have to have your sanity. And that may mean that you need to ask for help. And so I would say more than just being okay asking for help, ask for help. (laughs) Absolutely. I agree. And I realized that very quickly um, with my daughter as an A, Princess Esne, who turned four yesterday. I realized that very quickly where when she slept, I slept. If I 
wasn't able to do the laundry or if I wasn't able to do the dishes or if I wasn't able to do the cooking, I asked my mom, I asked my mother-in-law to help me with those things. They were there ready and willing to help with those things because they've been there before. And once I realized that they're there as an extension of me, things got much easier. Mm, there as an extension of you. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. So um, what about people that may not have support like we have support? Like I understand, like it's a blessing for me to be able to have my mom here and and, and be able to afford to have her here, right? Because my mom has bills like, like we have bills, right? Yeah, so yeah. we can afford to have them here. But what if you are someone that, you know, can't afford for your mother to take off or to pay your mom's bills so she can take some time away? Or you don't have family because your mom may have passed away or, you know, you don't have a spouse. So what advice would you give to those those women? Prioritize what's important. And in the immediate postpartum, what is important is your health and your baby's health and your other children, if you have other children, their health. All other things are secondary. So whatever you need to do to make sure that you're focusing on you and your baby or children and babies, that's most important. So the other things can wait. The house chores, those can wait. Um, tending to other friends and family just because they want to come over and occupy your time, that can wait because the more they're over, the more they're taking away from the time that you can use to rest or to be caring for your child or yourself. So if they want to come over, by all means, tell them, yeah, they can come over, but you're going to expect them to come over to help you and not for them to come over to cater to you. Because that's a big thing, too, is you just have a baby and then people, oh, everyone wants to come over. But are you coming over to help me? Or are you coming over and then you're expecting me to cater to you? Or are you expecting me to um, host you. This is not the time to be hosting other people. This is the time where if they really care about you and they're coming over, let them hold the baby for a little while. Go take a 15, 20 minute hot shower. You don't realize how important a hot shower is until you're like, man, when am I going to get that time to get my just just a five, 10 minute shower? So, yes, not everyone is as fortunate as I am. And I've realized that. But you just have to prioritize. It's prioritize. If the laundry stays there for a week, as long as you have clean clothes, it's OK. <laughs> yeah. And I will say this. If, if you are going over somebody's house and they have a baby that's six months old or less, you need to go over there thinking, I'm just stopping by here to bring something, right? Help Don't go over up. there. Yeah, or tidy up. Don't go over there empty-handed. You need to go over there with a meal, right? You're going over there with the dish, or you're going over there with a gift card. You're going over there ordering them food, or you're going over to say, hey, girl, I'm going to watch your baby while you go take an hour nap. Or I'm going to help you wash the dishes and wipe down these counters. Like, I'm coming over to help. Don't come over cute. Come over with your tights on, your T-shirt, and be ready to work. Ready um, to work. Because people do come over thinking 
you're going to get hosted. Like they want to see the baby and then they want to see you. Oh, give me a tour of your house. Don't ask for a tour of somebody's house that's, that has a newborn. You don't know what I have stands under this sofa or under this bed. Like, don't ask to tour my house. If I want you to see my house, I'll, I'll say, hey, you want a tour of the house and I'll show you around. But a, with a newborn baby, like you really can't ask to tour somebody's house until they like have at least a one year old. Okay, let me just throw it out there. Because don't ask the host. Don't expect somebody to pull out, you know, bottles of water for you like it's not happening come over to help or just come over to drop off something be helpful a gift card uh, a toy uh you know something to entertain the kids or you can volunteer to take the older kids out that's what that would be yeah that would be helpful like volunteer to entertain them so that she can focus on just the child at that point or you know getting some rest while that child is resting because that baby is sleeping you know every three four hours the baby's napping let her nap don't wake her up with the doorbell just saying people and people just don't understand like even before i had children and when my brother and his wife when they had their first baby the only i was like you know I don't know what they need, I, you know, I don't know what to buy them, but I went over there, cleaned the house, cooked them an, um, a f- enough food to last them a week. And my sister-in-law was just so appreciative, but it's those little things that new moms, they won't ask for help because of pride or whatever it is. But if you can do it for them, those matter way more. Yeah. I yeah, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. So, um, what ways, um, how do you help? sleep train babies like what advice would you give sleep training babies so they're not as fussy stick to a schedule um it's very difficult especially with a newborn but you have to try to find some kind of schedule that works for everyone in the family and stick to it whether it's of course, it's not going to be easy initially, and you will want to give up when you feel like, oh, you've tried once or you've tried twice, and it's not working, but stick to a schedule. Um, you can try. I know that with mine, I bought a little sound machine that really helps to um soothe them and dull out any kind of excess noise that might be in the house. Um, Some babies love to be swaddled. Uh, My son loved to be swaddled. And if you didn't swaddle him well, then he never, he wouldn't get into a deep sleep. But it's all about picking a schedule, choosing a place where you're going to identify as their sleep space so that they know when they go into that area okay it's it's time to sleep um yeah sticking to a schedule with children that's the that's the number one thing i can think of yeah even when they when you're outside of the fourth trimester like sticking to a schedule is going to be key like kids need naps and they probably need naps like all the way into their like five or six like they need to take naps in the daytime um so that they're not cranky, right? And they yeah. need to have a set bedtime and a set place to sleep that's not in your bed. Yes, okay? I agree. That's not in your bed. And so babies need to be 
in their own space. And if they're in your bed, they, they have those. What are those little sleep boxes that people can place in their beds? I had one because I breastfed both of my children. And I know I don't know the exact name of it. But yes, those are necessary if they're going to sleep in the bed with you, um, especially if you're, you know, breastfeeding. So it's a little bit more convenient, but you want it to be safe for the child. Um, and many different companies make them. Yeah. And they even have like a little night light on the top of the um the little box so that you can keep an eye on on the baby and make sure the baby's doing well even throughout the night that the baby's sleeping right beside you. Yeah, we had um we have the bassinet that basically adjoins the bed. So mm. the so Harrison wasn't in the bed with us, but he was right on the side of the bed, which was good because I didn't have to get out of the bed to get him at night. I could just reach over grab him on the side of the bed and then pick him up um, and breastfeed him at that point. Now, um, swaddling, Harrison wouldn't go to sleep without being swaddled. Like you can try if you want to, he needed to be swaddled at all times. And that's what he wanted to do. Now, once he got to be three months, he wanted to take his arms out of the swaddle. I don't know what that was about, but he wanted to take his arms out of the swaddle. And even now that he's two, the little boy wants to take his arms out of everything. Like he wants, if he's in a stroller, he wants to take his arms out. I'm like, that's not safe. If he's in a car seat, he's crying because he wants his arms free. That is not safe. He needs his arms in. But um, for swaddle, of course, swaddle your baby, how your baby's comfortable. And, um, you know, the reason that the arms, like once your baby starts rolling over, your baby doesn't need to be swallowed anymore, right? Because if your kid can roll over, you know, and the arms are in, then the baby can't really lift themselves up or, you know, they, they can breathe in too much CO2 and that can cause SIDS. So that's why they say once your baby's rolling, then, you know, don't swaddle your child. The arm should be out um, if your baby is rolling. But yeah, Harrison loved to be swaddled. We had, when we stopped swaddling them, we were like, what are we going to do? Because he's rolling over now. <laughs> yeah, my what kids love to be swaddled. I think it's a comfort thing. Yeah, something about feeling like they're in the wound. Yeah. <laughs> So um, how long should um, our listeners expect newborns to sleep? Hmm. So typically um, research shows that the first few weeks of life, they sleep about 14 to 17 hours um, a day. So they're sleeping most of the day. They sleep, they'll wake up, they'll eat, and they'll go back to sleep, um, just like they do when they're in the womb. But typically after about six to eight weeks, babies, um, they start to mirror more of like infant and toddler sleep schedule, where they'll sleep maybe two or three naps during the day, which are usually like an hour to two hours, and then start sleeping through the night man I just remember I felt like Harrison did this whole like three four hours sleep all the time mm. and once he reached eight weeks is when we started to see okay he is up a lot more during the day eyes wide open looking around want to be entertained and at nighttime we tried to put some some habits in place to make sure that he was sleeping for longer periods of time because we were like, is homeboy going to keep on waking up every two, three yeah. hours throughout the night? And so once we started increasing the amount of milk, he was actually being fed. He was sleeping longer hours. And you guys will see your, your baby will start off with like, you know, a couple cc's at, at day one. And by a week, your baby is drinking like an ounce. And yeah. so everything is like 
exponential after that. And so I think the more food a baby intakes, uh, the longer they start to sleep, which is nice, right? Because then you can start to get longer hours of sleep. And so for me, once I got a block of four hours, I was good, right? Mm Because you wake up for 20 minutes, you go back to sleep for, you know, for four more hours if you wanted to. So feeling um, energized. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. After that two, three month period, it's like a little sweet spot. Then it's, then it's time to go back to work. (laughs) And I always tell people like the, no one realizes, although the fourth trimester is 12 weeks, I felt, I always feel like those first six weeks, I just need to get through these first six weeks. And it's like, a light bulb goes off and everything really falls into place and becomes so much easier. That's how I felt with both of mine. Like those first six weeks, I'm like, what did, what, what, what did I do? Can I do this? And then I think as like, we're noticing as at six to eight weeks, when they start to get into a, a better schedule, and then you can also be in a schedule, it just gets so much easier. Wow. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So when is it okay for babies to be out of the house? Like, when can you take your baby and put your baby in a stroller to wheel the baby around? I personally, as a mother and a physician, don't feel that babies should be out of the house before they get their first round of shots. And so I don't, that's a cultural thing. When I, growing up, new moms never took their children out until about six weeks when they get their first shots. And then just as a physician, I think it's the safest, um, why have your newborn out and around all these, you know, strangers and people that you don't know what kind of bacteria or viruses they're harboring that could potentially really put your child back in the hospital? I just don't think it's safe. Yeah, I agree. Um, our pediatrician um, told us, I think my OBGYN said four to six weeks. Our pediatrician said four to six weeks um, because that was when Harrison got his first set of shots. And even then, we didn't take him in public. We like literally took him in the stroller and wheeled him outside. And I think the the biggest thing for us was um, since we had Harrison around this time in the summer, it was making sure the baby was hydrated. Right. Because especially if you're in the South, like babies, you know, they are not going to have the same mechanisms that we have to say I'm hot. Right. Yeah. And a, a one month old baby may not even cry, but may get just extremely sleepy if they're overheated or dehydrated as opposed to just crying. So basically um, just making sure you're paying attention to your child. And if you are going to take your child on a stroll once they're four to six weeks outside, you're making sure they're covered. So they shouldn't be directly sun exposed. They should be covered um, at all times, not smothered, but just like a light drape over them or making sure the hood of the stroller is, is up. So the baby is shaded and then always, you know, feed your baby before you're taking them out into um, an, an outside environment where they could be dehydrated. So that way you make sure that they're well hydrated before you take them outside. Um, and, and that way, if they fall asleep, you're not like worried, like, oh my God, is my baby overheated or dehydrated? No, they're resting because they've just been fed. They're well hydrated because you fed them before you went outside of the home and you have them nice and shaded. So you're not worried about them being overheated. I used to put this little fan. There's like a little portable fan that you can latch onto the strollers. Uh, And I still have one. I usually put this little portable fan on the stroller for Harrison uh, in the summertime so that he wasn't hydrate. I mean, he didn't get overheated um, when we took him outside because he loves to go outside. We Um, sure did that in Texas. 
I know, right? Even <laughs> now he loves to go outside. So we have this little um, portable fan. But um, but yeah, I agree with you. Um, that four to six week period, um, before that, your baby should be inside. And so should you. <laughs> Healing so and resting, you. exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, all right. When is it okay to resume sexual intercourse, Dr. Equo? Six weeks, but you have to get clearance so at minimum six weeks, but you must get clearance by your OBGYN before um, resuming intercourse. Yes. Yeah, so y'all, did y'all hear it, listeners? She said six weeks. That means, and with clearance. So that means you have to go to your OBGYN or whoever delivered you to get your postpartum clearance to make sure that the vagina is okay. You're emotionally okay. You're not dealing with a whole bunch of pain. You're not having abnormal bleeding. Six weeks. Now, I'll tell you like I tell my patients, you can do other creative things in that six week period. Okay, you can be creative in other ways, but vaginal intercourse, six weeks. Absolutely. Six weeks. weeks. All right. So now that we know a little bit more about the fourth trimester, let's go to some cases to help our listeners. Why don't we? Our first case is a 37 year old who is seven weeks postpartum with her third child. She presents for a problem visit due to painful sexual intercourse and vaginal dryness. Her vaginal bleeding stopped three weeks ago. She has attempted to have sex with her husband once, but had to stop due to pain. She is also very tired all the time. She requests medicine for energy and evaluation for painful intercourse. Oh, so this case is something that I see quite often. Uh, I will tackle the painful intercourse first, then talk about the energy. With regards to the painful intercourse, of course, I would um, gather some more information, but it sounds like she has a reason for her painful intercourse. She likely hasn't had intercourse in about six weeks, maybe even longer, because a lot of times when women are getting closer to their um, due date, they just aren't comfortable having intercourse. So prolonged amount of time with no intercourse, and she is breastfeeding. And breastfeeding puts you into a pseudo um, menopausal state, which um, can cause vaginal dryness. So I would talk to her about that, talk to her about um, lubrication and other non-hormonal products that can help to increase her um, lubrication and moisture, vaginal moisture, which can help with the um, painful intercourse. In addition to foreplay, a lot of times women don't realize how important foreplay is to the overall enjoyment of intercourse for men you just kind of stroke them and they're ready but for women (laughs) it's not the same you have to I tell my patients all the time you have to tell your man he has to put in that work especially when you're breastfeeding and you know you're dealing with so many different aspects she doesn't have just one kid she has three She's immediately postpartum, still likely not sleeping very well, in addition to trying to take care of her other children and take care of her role as a mother. So that's likely why she has low energy. Um, So she has to give herself some grace as well. She doesn't, there's no magic pill that's going to give her energy. She, like we spoke about earlier, needs to find ways to ask her husband for help so that she can get the, the, whatever it be, the rest, 
the stepping outside of the house just to get a mental break. All of those things will help to actually re-energize her more than any kind of over-the-counter medication for energy. Um, so that's you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to do everything once you have three children and you're postpartum. So you have to ask for help. In asking for help, you'll be able to get the rest you need and more than likely the energy you need. And then of course, I always do an exam, make sure it's not that she has a tear or something that's going on physically that's causing her painful intercourse. But nine times out of 10, the breastfeeding causes vaginal dryness and you have to use lubrication. You have to engage in in foreplay, really get your body prepared. And most of the time, intercourse over time becomes more bearable and actually pleasurable. Yeah, I would agree. So Dr. Eckwell said, tell your husband he needs to put in work. I'm telling you. <laughs> Listen, so I agree. Yes, husbands need to put in work. Foreplay is definitely very, very important. Um, I would also add... Um, in addition to making sure like there's no tear or anything like that, I would also want to make sure that nothing else is going on, like specifically like hypothyroidism or thyroid disease. Um, if she dealt with gestational diabetes or anything like that during pregnancy, that can play into um, her having um, a decreased libido in itself. So I would make sure that from that standpoint, we're not dealing with underlying insulin resistance or anything like that. I would assume not because it doesn't say that in the case, but if she did, then I would tackle those things things because that could increase her libido in general. Um, Dr. Equa is right. Like if you're breastfeeding, I mean, you may experience vaginal dryness. Even if you're not, immediate postpartum, because of those hormonal shifts, you can also experience vaginal dryness. So lubrication is key. Y'all, we need to start you to add to your natural lubrication. Like mm -hmm. everybody needs to use lube regardless of pregnancy, outside of pregnancy, postpartum, not postpartum. This is how people are like, oh my God, the condom broke. The condom broke because you didn't have any lubrication in and out of the condom, okay? You have got to use lubrication because that is how condoms get dried out and they break. So we need to make a habit, people, of using extra lubrication. And in the postpartum period, you do need to use a water-based lubricant. Like, go ahead and get you some lube, okay? And foreplay mixed with lube, mixed with some extra sleep, that's key. Now, if your husband, let me tell you, your husband is going to find a way to make you comfortable enough to have intercourse. And if he has to hire a little bit of help, ask some family to come over and help, you tell him you need help. Okay, you need help, you need rest. Otherwise, you're just going to be too tired to do anything. And I'm sure that he will find a way to help you um, get some sleep, get some rest. He'll be just benefited at the, in the end of the day as well. So he'll, exactly. he'll figure it out. <laughs> and then, of course, um, incorporating some type of exercise, right? So whether that is you putting your baby in the stroller and walking outside, just getting some fresh air can help. Um, revive some of your energy once you get some sleep. So getting on a regular schedule, um, incorporating some type of aerobic activity or walking um, would be helpful for your libido and your um, energy level as well. The case pearl for this case is lubrication is key. Okay, always incorporate lubrication um, into sexual intercourse, whether you're pregnant or or not. Our second case is a 24-year-old who is two weeks postpartum. She presents for an exam stating that she has had trouble breastfeeding due to extreme pain with breastfeeding. 
Her breasts are red and tender to the touch. She denies having a fever. She presents asking how she can improve breastfeeding. So with this patient, um, first and foremost, I um, would ask her how often, so what at what intervals she um, is breastfeeding. Um, it's very important when breastfeeding to make sure, like I keep saying, stick to a schedule. With breastfeeding, you want to make sure that you are bre- putting the baby to the breast or pumping at least every three to four hours and no longer than that. Um, because it's a, you want to make sure you're doing it that frequently so that you're how breastfeeding works is that the more the baby latches tells your mind how much milk to produce. And so if you want to ensure that you're producing enough for your infant, you need to make sure you're, you're breastfeeding or pumping at regular intervals. And then you want to also make sure that, um, the infant is latching correctly. Make sure that, um, your, your milk is flowing. So you don't have any blocked ducts, um, if with this patient specifically, I would do an exam, of course, to make sure she doesn't have mastitis and it's just engorgement. Um, patients with engorgement, I always tell them to make sure regular interval of nursing or pumping. Make sure when they are pumping, they massage their breasts to make sure that they're fully emptying their breasts. They can always use warm compress. And then, of course, um, in a patient like this specifically, NSAIDs. So NSAIDs are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs such as Motrin, ibuprofen um, at a regular at regular intervals. That's going to help with the um, discomfort and any fever that the patient might have. Yeah, and I think it's really key. Like, if you're going to put a warm compress, you need to pump or have the baby latch right after that because that can that's going to help increase your milk production. And it can make engorgement worse if you're not emptying, okay? So definitely. And sometimes we got to play with the pump settings, right? Yeah. I don't know what kind of pump you used, um, Tope. I used um, the Spectra. That's what um, I used. I love yeah. it. And I love it because the medulla is great. And there's a lot of different pumps, but those are the two main mainstream pumps. The medulla is great, right? That's your hospital grade pump. That's what they're going to give you in the hospital. But um, there's only like two or three settings on the mm-hmm. medulla. Um, mm-hmm. The Spectra has like a million settings. So sometimes it takes us to like play with the settings to get to figure out what will give you the best milk production. I, I remember I didn't realize that the settings changed like that until... I was like three weeks postpartum. I was like, oh, I can change the settings. Like I can actually make this like not just a harder suckle um, or a pull, but you can like change the speed. Yeah. Um, you can change like uh, the cycles where the cycles are like softer, um, softer expression with higher frequency of, 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 of pumps um, versus like longer pulls of the milk um, at less frequent cycles. And then it can basically, you can set those cycles up in different intervals. Like it'll do one cycle for one minute and then it'll do another cycle for five minutes and then finish five minutes with, you know, a whole, whole different cycle. You can do that with the Spectra. Um, I know that there are a lot of hands-free pumps that may not have the um, as strong of a pull. Um, so usually I tell my patients, 
if you're going to use a hands-free pump, you really need to have an actual production in. Like I wouldn't start with a hands-free pump. Um, Not until you actually have a good milk supply and you're going to be flowing just by touching your breasts. You know, Um, you're starting off in those first couple weeks. You really do need, you know, one of the hospital grade, like sit down, plug in pumps that will work. Now, what do you think about hand pumps? Have you heard of patients using hand pumps? I have, and I've tried, and they're not for me, um, especially when you're trying to deal with your infant, deal with your toddler. They're personally not for me, um, but I have had I have some patients who they swear by them. So I feel like as long as it works for you, that's all that matters. Um, and I think with breastfeeding, people don't realize how difficult breastfeeding can be and how much you really do need to kind of take your time. We, you know, we see now there's a big push for breastfeeding and moms make it look so easy. It's not easy. And I didn't realize until after having my daughter, how much I, how little I knew about breastfeeding and how much more information is out there to make you more successful with breastfeeding. So that's another thing I always talk about. Speak to your lactation consultants, speak to people about breastfeeding because it's going to make it that much more successful for you. That's how I feel anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I do have patients that swear by the hand pump and I, and it does. So the research or data says that the hand pump does have a higher um, milk production because you can get a stronger um, flow from that. But I, I don't necessarily agree. I think it is, it can be a lot more inconvenient than an electric pump. You know, you put it in work doing a a manual pump. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the case pearl for this case is, um, Regular latching or pumping every three to four hours will help prevent engorgement and gradually increase your milk supply. All right. Do we have any email cases? Yes. This one says, I have been having vaginal bleeding now for three weeks. Is this normal? If it is, how long will I experience bleeding? I'm assuming this patient is postpartum. Yes. Oh, okay. So yes, immediately postpartum, I always tell my patients that you can have bleeding up to four to six weeks postpartum and everyone is different. It is not fun. (laughs) It can be quite a nuisance, but it is very, very normal. I would say a majority of people about two to three weeks, uh, you know, they notice that they stop bleeding. Um, But four to six weeks, you can bleed that entire time, typically not as heavy as the initial postpartum, but you can have bleeding up until your six week postpartum visit. And that is not abnormal at all. I agree. Um, up to six weeks. And um, if you are going through like two pads in an hour, are you feeling like you're dizzy? That's a reason that you should call your provider so that they can check your blood count to make sure you're not severely anemic and need a blood transfusion or anything like that. But if you're feeling fine, you're just bleeding. Yeah, it could be up to six weeks that you have bleeding and that bleeding can go from being like bright red, like a period um, to um, you know, a lighter pink to brown to yellow to white and frothy. Um, as long as it doesn't have an odor, um, that is pretty normal. Um, usually, like I said, up to six weeks. Um, but a lot of people do stop bleeding before that. So don't don't get too discouraged that you can bleed for three more weeks because you likely won't. But yeah, but it's not abnormal to bleed that long. All right. Do we have any more cases? 
Okay, our medical intern is shaking her head no. So thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pros Podcast. I hope you've learned a little bit more about the fourth trimester. Um, If you would, Tope, tell our followers how they can book an appointment with you. So I work at um, in the med center at Women's Hospital of Texas. My practice name is Specialist in Obstetrics and Gynecology. And you can call my clinic at 713-799-9900 and ask to schedule an appointment with Dr. Equo. I am um, accepting new patients, pregnant patients, gynecologic patients, problem visits. So... Just call 713-799-9900. Awesome. And like I told y'all, she's my provider. She is the best. And she is located in the Houston, Texas area, if you're listening. Now, if oh, yeah. you're calling her and you're like in Dallas or something like that, she can't really help you unless you're willing to drive down. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so Tope, thank you so much for all the information. And thank you so much for being a part of the podcast this morning. Best of luck with your practice and all that you do. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Plenty. Can't wait to be back. (laughs) If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your case or topic discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production.